Alrighty guys, welcome back. I am Rondell Vici and this is JC Santiago. And today we're going to be uh, going over the personal essay Boom is Over by Gia Calentino. And no, it might not have pirates with cannons, so don't get disappointed. So this is an article with a video towards the end that was published in uh, 2017 by Gia. Uh, we're just going to go over the topics that she discussed and uh, if we have any comments, we'll share it with you guys. Alrighty. There's a certain kind of personal essay that for a long time everybody seemed to hate. These essays were mostly written by women. They came off as unseemly, the writer's judgment as flawed, they were too personal, the topic seemed insignificant or else too important to be aired for an audience of strangers. The essays that drew the most attention tended to fall within certain categories. There were the one-off body horror pieces such as My Gynecologist Found a Ball of Cat Hair in My Vagina, published by Zoe Jane, or a Notorious Lost Tampon Chronicle, published by Jezebel. There were essays that incited outrage for the lifestyles they described, like the one about pretending to live in the Victorian era, or Cat Morel's Au Voir. There were those that incited outrage by giving voice to horrible uncharitable thoughts like my former friend's death was a blessing so Jane again and I'm not going to pretend I'm poor to be accepted by you thought catalog finally there were these, those essays that directed outrage at society by describing incidents of sexism abuse or rape you know um, quick comment before we continue on my the the title my gynecologist found a ball of cat hair in my vagina um, that's probably one of the most clickable titles I've ever heard in my life. Like, who's going to read that and not want to find out what happens? Like, so many questions arise instantly as you read, read that title. How did title. that happen? 17 questions, and I need answers. So that's, that's a great title um, to, to reel someone in. All right, let's continue. These essays began to proliferate several years ago. Precisely when is hard to say, but we can, I think, date the beginning of the boom to 2008, the year that Emily Gold wrote a per first-person cover story called Exposed for the Times Magazine, which was about, as the tagline put it, what she gained and lost from writing about her intimate life on the web. Blowback followed and so did an endless supply of imitations. By September 2015, online first-person writing was so abundant that Laura Bennett at Slate could refer to a first-person industrial complex and a takedown of the genre. Every site seems to have a first-person vertical and a first-person editor. Bennett, who also cited Gold's Times story as a turning point, wrote, one could take a safari through various personal essay habitats, Gawker, Jezebel, Zojin, Salon, BuzzFeed ideas, and conclude that they were more or less the same, she argued. While she granted that not all first-person writing on the internet was undignified, there were far too many solo acts of sensational disclosure <coughs> that read like reverse-engineered headlines. The market, in Bennett's view, had overinflated. She was right. A year and a half later, it barely exists. BuzzFeed Ideas shut down at the end of 2015. <clears throat> Gawker and Zojane in 2016. Salon no longer has a personal essays editor. 
And Jezebel, where I used to work, doesn't run personal essays at its former frequency. Its editor-in-chief, Emma Carmichael, told me that she scarcely receives pitches from them anymore. Indie sites known for cultivating pers- first-person writing, the toast, the all, the hairpin, have shut down or changed direction. Thought Catalog chugs along, but it seems to have lost its ability to rile up outside readers. Of course, the New Yorker and the magazines continue to publish memoir of various kinds. Just this week, The Atlantic published a first-person cover story by Alex Tizon with the provocative headline, My Family's Slave. But there is a specific sort of ultra-confessional essay written by a person you never heard of and published online that flourished until recently and now hardly registers. The changes happened quietly, but it's a big one. A genre that partially defined the last decade of the internet has essentially disappeared. So what happened? To answer that, it helps to consider what gave rise to the personal essays ubiquity in the first place. Around 2008, several factors converged. In preceding years, private blogs and social platforms like LiveJournal, Blogspot, Facebook trained people to write about their personal lives at length in public. As Sylvia Killingsworth, who was previously the managing editor of The New Yorker and took over the all and the hairpin last year, put it to her, she said people loved to talk about themselves, and they were given a platform and no rules. Then the invisible hand of the page view economy gave them a push. Websites generated ad revenue in direct proportion to how many eyeballs could be attracted to their offerings, and editorial budgets had contracted in the wake of the recession. The forms that became increasingly common, flashy personal essays, op-eds, and news aggregation, were those that could attract viral audiences on the cheap. Sarah Apollo, who worked as Salon's personal essay editor, describes the situation to me in an email. The boom in personal essays at Salon, at least, but I suspect other places, was in part a response to an online climate where more content was needed at the exact moment budgets were being slashed. When I worked as an editor at the Hairpin and Jezebel from 2013 to 2016, I saw up close how friendly editors and ready audiences could implicitly encourage writers to submit their, these pieces in droves. For the first two years that I edited personal essays, I received at least a hundred first-person pitches and pieces each week. But an ad-based publishing model built around maximizing page views quickly and cheaply creates uncomfortable incentives for writers, editors, and readers alike. Attention flows naturally to the outrageous, the harrowing, the intimate, and the recognizable, and the online personal essay began to harden into a form defined by identity and adversity, not in spite of how tricky it is to negotiate those matters in front of a crowd, but precisely because of that fact. The commodification of personal experience was also women's territory. The small budgets of popular women-focused websites and the rapidly changing conventions and constrictions surrounding women's lives ensured it. And so many women wrote about the most difficult things that had ever happened to them and received not much in return. 
Most saints paid a few hundred dollars for such pieces at most. Zojane paid $50. When I began writing on the internet, she says, I wrote personal essays for free. So, to comment real quick. It says, the sentence that uh, stood out to me uh, the most was how attention flows naturally to the outrageous. So, we're... That it's like eye, can, eye candy. We're pointed towards the outrageous, the heroine, the intimate, and the recognizable. The fact that uh, YouTubers are such a big thing today is just a, a, a beautiful point right there. 10, 15 years ago, that wasn't a thing, you know, compared to uh, 2008. Yeah, security to all units. Please stand by for a reject. Starting with GMI unit 7-1. The fact that uh, Jake Paul just fought Nate Robinson uh, is just a per perfect example in itself. You know 11, Ryan, Unit 13, loud and clear. Jake Paul, 10, 15 years ago, probably never thought, uh, you know, of being a YouTuber, but uh, the fact that YouTuber is a job and makes a lot of money these days is the point that I feel like they're making here because it kind of makes it not about the writing, not about the editing. It, it takes away from what was the original intention when they created these platforms to for people to speak about themselves or like Twitter originally was just you know updating you know how I'm going about my day and that is not what it is now Facebook was probably the same uh, and these other uh, writing websites uh, was to express someone's story or express someone's feelings now it's all about who's going to read my story the most how am I going to make that headline um, grab eyes and the one headline in the beginning did a great job of that, in my opinion. You know, I, I, I think when I look at this, I see a lot of hatred towards what a lot of people are posting these days because the inconsideracy of what they're posting. Mm. You know, who wants to read about rape or, you know, sexualism and all mm. that? No, that's all bad news in society. We hear that every day. There's nothing extraordinary about it. Mm. But when you post something positive and stuff that's reactive and people don't see it every day, you know, that's when, you, you know, you start getting views, you start mm. getting, you know, all sorts of stuff because people aren't used to it, something new. And they're always looking for that something new. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, there's a very th thin line with that because I feel like mm. these days we're going more towards... We're gearing more towards the soft people in this world. Um, and the fact that I have to be careful with saying that proves my point even more. The fact that people can be offended by being called soft is my point. Mm -hmm. There are certain... Them, uh, the snowflakes. Yes. They melt when first contact. <laughs> the, the first thing that you have to uh you know keep in mind when you're reading is there are some topics that need to be discussed as such as rape 
and not because you're promoting it not because you're putting it out there but because it happens sadly and people need to you know learn why does it happen not on the the attacker side but the victim side why don't they speak up why why do they feel like they can't go to someone else to tell them what's happening you know that's the type of stuff that we can study and learn in hearing about these stories so then we can then prevent them in the future and and make people feel more comfortable in sharing that very hard information so there are some topics that need to be discussed obviously not to an extensive you know uh, format but there is progress and good things in discussing those difficult topics so it's kind of like a fine line you can't you know do too much of it because people aren't going to buy it and people just i think the i think the problem is the problem is people don't like the truth you know the truth is hard, hard to digest but they love lies because the lies is what makes them feel comfortable the lies is what you know is the I mean, sugar just... and candy and empty calories in your diet that just make you feel good you know? I mean, it goes into that uh, line of, are you choosing the easy way or the hard way? Mm. You know, sure, the easy way might be easy, but the rewards are not there. Mm. You know, the hard way is where you, you know, you get a lot more out of it. You get a lot more character. You get a lot more of, you know, what, what was unseen to you in the easy road. And a lot of people just find it easier to go down the easy road because they don't want to, you know, uncover the facts of the truth. Especially when it could expose them for something. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people on Facebook, you know, they show different faces at different times. Like, say one day it's a happy newsletter, the next day it's completely depressed. Yeah. I've been seeing more of that depressed and angry face during these last few months than anything. You know, it's hardly a good post. It's hardly, you know, oh, this happened to me today, I got this job. It's all, oh, this happened and I'm going to beat up this person or, and it's really sad to see. All right, so we can continue. This video, I believe, is a different topic, so we can just continue in, in reading. So it continues in saying, for some writers, these essays led to better paying work. But for many, the thrill of reaching an audience had to suffice. And placing a delicate part of your life in the hands of strangers didn't always turn out to be so thrilling. Personal essays cry out for identification and connection, which their authors often got was distancing and shame. Bennett pegged her slate piece to an essay that Carmichael and I edited at Jezebel written by a woman who had met her father for the first time as a teenager and engaged. Under emotional coercion and a brief sexual relationship with him, Bennett deemed the personal essay economy a dangerous force for the people who participate in it. Mm. By that point, writers, editors, and readers had become suspicious of one another and the factors that produced the personal essay boom has started to give way. Some of the online publishers that survive have shifted to video and sponsored posts and Facebook partnerships to shore up revenue. 
aggregation and the op-eds to infamous abundant takes continue to thrive, although the takes have perhaps cooled a bit. Personal essays have evidently been deemed not worth the trouble. Even those of us who like the genre aren't generally mourning its sudden disappearance from the mainstream of the internet. First-person writing should be not, not be cheap, and it should not be written or edited quickly, Gold wrote to me. And it should be published in a way that protects writers rather than hanging them out to dry on the most emailed list. Yeah, so this is just a continued, like, and I agree with everything she's saying. And it is kind of sad to see the uh, this type of essay go out because there's there's such, you know, beautiful truth in the truth. You know, there's there's a lot of, you know, good that can come out of the painful truth. And it is hard to read, it is hard to hear, but if we don't, if we just close our eyes and ears to it and just do the, you know, ignorance is bliss type of thing, it's never going to be fixed. You know, if we just turn the our, our heads the other way, the problem still remains. And that's exactly what, you know, the bad guys, I guess, want you to do, to well, ignore mean, it. Here, here would have to be my point off of that is... You know, I'm, I'm going to use another analogy. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing to use. Um, but this one's going to be good. Um, you said, you know, they find ignorance and bliss. Mm-hmm. Or bliss and ignorance, which is... Um, so the analogy is, you know, say you are truthful and everything, and you have a weight, right? And the weight's next to you. Does that create any problem to holding you down? No. A weight, like a, like a dumbbell? You mean? Or like one of those chain balls. Yeah, kind of okay, okay. And it's just sitting next to you, not really having any strain. Is that a problem to you? No, because it's not right. attached. So that's going to signify the truth. You know, you're mm-hmm. working with the truth. You're kind of free. You don't even notice it. And so then, say you lie and hide that truth, and the ball falls off the edge. Then would it be a problem to you? Would you feel free dangling with a ball that is weighing you off the top? No. They'll be pulling you off the side. And see, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the only way that people are going to change is they realize something's wrong. Mm. And mm. they refuse to acknowledge that something's wrong, and that's when we get the problem. And that's, uh, that's kind of, it kind of goes into another sad truth, which is the fact that you only notice it when it affects you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that sucks because, you know, I understand people don't want to hear this. They don't want to go on Facebook or they don't want... That's the main reason people don't go on the news, to watch the news, because they don't like want to watch all the depressing stuff that they post on the news or show on the news, which is understandable. But if we don't act until we're acted upon, we're behind. We're already a step behind from the enemy, you know? I mean, look at this, right? So I forget which year it was. But in the year, um, in a one year, Pearl Harbor was attacked. Mm. Why did that happen? Because we didn't see it coming. Because nobody wrote about what was going on. A lot of people, a lot of people think and say that we did see it coming and let it happen. But that's a conspiracy. I mean, a lot of people said and worded it in the movies and stuff that America fell asleep. But we mm. sleep. Consequences happen. Mm. The world continues going, but we do not. And, you know, it's sad to see that, you know, we didn't see it affecting us, you know. We might be a mighty giant, but there's also going to be a lot more powerful people out there. Yeah. All right, let's continue.
by that point, writers, editors, and readers... No. Okay, here we are. There are still a few outlets that cultivate a more subtle and sober iteration of this kind of first-person writing. Some of them connected to book publishing. There's Hazlitt, launched by Random House Canada, and Lenny Letter, which now has a publishing imprint, and Catapult, which describes itself as a book publisher with a daily on my online magazine. The managing editor of Catapult is Nicole Chung, who previously worked for The Toast. But the genre's biggest migration has began or been to Tiny Letter, an email newsletter platform. Gold, who writes a newsletter called Can't Complain, suggested that Tiny Letters are doing what personal blogs did 15 years ago, allowing writers to work on their own terms and reach small readerships in an intimate, private feeling, still public enough way. Carrie Fry, formerly the managing editor of The All, also has a tiny letter. She told me that it seemed like writers, particularly female writers, had said, okay, I'm going to make an internet on which my essays go out in pneumatic tubes to just who I want them to go to and no one else. That that makes me beg a question. What was she hiding that she didn't want anybody else to see it? Well, it's just the it's the backlash that they receive from the truth. Yes, except at least when you know I see one thing, you know, backlash means people are paying attention, which is good. So you're saying whether what they post receives negative or positive comments or reactions, the fact is they got a reaction, so that's good. Well, no, what I'm saying is people are paying attention. At least mm. they're still paying attention and clicking on that to see what's going on. Mm. You know, it doesn't matter if it's negative or positive. It matters that it affected that person. You know, the more people you affect, the more positive, you know, your your view on that will be. Your voice is getting out there, regardless of yeah, regardless you know, what so. the effect is on that person. Oh, okay. I mean, figuratively speaking, you know, you, you have two approaches to writing an article, right? Mm. You have the business front, and you have the personal front that creates the business front. Mm. And when that business front does good, your paper does good. Because they process the paper, they put it out there, and then the reader's job is to make money off that paper. So they're going to put money on that paper, but by the time they even get to your article, what happens? They've already spent their money. Mm. Mm. Okay, like it. So at that point, you know, it's really whether the reader likes it or not and continues reading the paper, that's up to them. Mm. But say, you know, you spit out the truth, and just because somebody doesn't like the truth doesn't mean you shouldn't continue with the truth. Mm. That being said, there's been a broader shift in attitude, though, in clear any case that the personal essay boom is over. If it had already peaked by the time Bennett was wrote about it in the fall of 2015, we can locate its hard enough endpoint about a year later, in November of last year. After the presidential election, many favored personal essay subjects, relationships, self-image, intimate struggle, seemed to hit a new low and broader social relevance. I feel like the 2016 election was a reckoning for journalism, Hippola wrote to me. 
We missed the story. Part of why we missed it might have been this over-reliance on how I feel about today's news and how the journalism world recognizes that we need to reinvest in reporting. Killingsworth echoed this, talking about her work at the Hall and the Hairpin. I want to encourage people to talk about mostly anything other than themselves. There's been a broader shift in attitudes about this sort of writing, which always endured plenty of vitriol. But simply, the personal is no longer political in quite the same way that it was. Many profiles of Trump voters positioned personal stories as explanations for a terrible collective act. Meanwhile, Clinton's purported reliance on identity politics has been heavily criticized. Individual perspectives do not, at the moment, seem like a trustworthy way to get to the bottom of a subject. Even Tizon's piece, which was published posthumously, and uses his damning closeness to his subject as a way to eludicate the otherwise invisible captivities of the Filipino Catalong servant class, prompted an immediate backlash, which then prompted a backlash to the backlash, mainly among those who think Western readers have misunderstood Tizon's understanding of his own position. Writers seem less interested in mustering their own centrality than they were, and readers seem less excited at the prospect of being irritated by individual civilian personalities. The political landscape has been so phantasmagorphic (laughs) that even the most sensationally interesting personal essays have lost some currency when not tied head-on to the news. Bennett said in an email, There just hasn't been much oxygen left for the kinds of essays that feel marginal or navel-gazy. These days, she tends to see pitches that center on systematic rather than personal trauma, she added, or on orienting personal trauma in our berserk new reality. (laughs) No more lost tampon essays, in other words, in the age of Donald Trump. And yet I find myself missing aspects of the personal essay internet that the flashiest examples tended to obscure. I still think of the form as a valuable on-ramp and immediate and vivid indication of a writer's instincts. One that is accessible to first-time writers and young people who haven't developed experience or connections. The internet made the personal essay worse as it does for the most things, but I am moved by the negotiation of vulnerability. I never get tired of coming across a writerly style that seemed to exist for no good reason. I loved watching people try to figure out if they had something to say. Well, that was a um, it was an interesting topic to talk about. Uh, definitely, definitely uh, difficult to read at some points. I learned words, I learned a lot of words today. <laughs> definitely. Phantasmagoric, that's the word. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to look it up after this. The political landscape has been so phantasmagoric. You know what that means? Fan- sounds like traumatic almost. Phantasmagoric. It sounds like a disease. Phantasmagoric. <laughs> 
Yeah, she she Hi, got I'm she got that she got that phantasmagoric. That sounds like an incurable disease, right there. <laughs> but I'll find out what it is. I mean, it was a good topic. Um, it's there. Are, it's I agree completely with uh, with what they're saying that it kind of lost its point, and everything it's saying is true. It's just become so, and, I, and the sad thing is, is, I think it's getting worse. It's just becoming so, so much about eye candy and not about the quality of writing. Uh, that we're, we're definitely losing the point. We're missing the point uh, behind these stories because it's all about who clicks on it uh, now. So, I mean, I think one of the most um, parts to me that I think is important about this is the emotional spectrum. You know. It goes from, you know, influence from different people, music, mm. uh, whatever you see is usually what you reflect. You know, I forget which verse of the Bible was, but it says the eye is the lamp of the body. Mm. If your eyes are clean, your, your body's clean also. But if your eyes are dirty, your body is dark. Mm. And it, um, it reminds me of exactly that, you know, your type of music can make you depressed what you see in the news can make you depressed you know and whatever you see and everything has influence on what you do and I think most of these writers are going off of that and they're influencing other people and I think that's why their post is dying is they're influencing them in the wrong way mm. you know as an influencer you gotta be careful because your change could be used for good or bad whether you know it or not, you could actually be hurting somebody instead of helping them grow. Mm. It reminds me of... Is it, the, is it a biblical scripture saying that your eyes are the window to the soul? That's what I was talking about right here. This is the one. The eye is the lamp of the body. Matthew six twenty two through 24. The eye is the lamp of the body. You draw light into your body through your eyes. And the light shines out to the world through your eyes. So if your eye is well and shows you what is true, then your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is clouded or evil, then your body will be filled with evil and dark clouds. And the darkness that takes over the body of a child of God who has gone astray, that is the deepest, darkest darkness there is. Wow. I'm quoting the Bible over here. And, um, you know, it... It's true, you know, usually what we take in for the most part mm-hmm. is usually what we spit out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember when I was seven, right, I started uh, listening to rap and hip-hop music mm. and songs from like Eminem with swear words all throughout it. Mm. And all of a sudden I found myself saying those words mm. and people were like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to remind the influence out there that you, you really got to be careful because you're leading people. Mm. Mm. You know, the leaders of these kinds of things, music, books, posts in the newspaper, the way you influence people matters. Mm. Well, to wrap up, uh, this article was titled, The Personal Essay Boom is Over. And it was by Gia Talentino, who is currently a staff writer at The New Yorker. Uh, She's also the author of the essay collection, trick mirror so if you guys liked uh, her topic or liked the discussion uh, that she was speaking on uh, she has more you can just type in the trick mirror by Gia Tolentino she has a whole essay collection 
or I'm sure she has a, a lot uh, of other topics that she goes into. And uh, alrighty, guys. So this has been Intellectual Deliberators. I am Maran Delavici, and this is JC Santiago. And uh, we hope to be doing another episode soon. So we hope you guys enjoyed. If you do, please come back for these next episodes and everything. If you really feel the need, please share with your friends and stuff so they can check it out as well. And alrighty, guys. Have a good night. That's going to do it for us tonight.